Hi there, and welcome to the Legal Marketing 2.0 podcast. I am your host, Tim Barron, and this is a show where we examine the latest trends in digital marketing to help you get more leads and clients. In today's episode, I chat with Jennifer Ellis about building law firm websites on the WordPress platform. She literally wrote the book on it, WordPress in an Hour for Lawyers, which was published by the ABA. But before we jump into the episode, I want to ask you a question. Do you struggle with digital marketing and how to make it work for you and for your firm? If so, please go to lawfirmmarketinghelp.com and sign up for a free digital audit. The audit will provide you with all of the information you need to build a blueprint for your digital marketing strategy to produce the results that you want. Welcome to the podcast, Jennifer. Well, thank you, Tim. And I don't know anyone, even very, very experienced people who are brilliant at marketing, who don't struggle with digital marketing. And I think everybody can always use uh, input and, and different perspectives. Absolutely. All right. So, Jennifer, I'm just, just going to introduce you a, um, uh, a little bit here, and then we'll dig right in. Jennifer Ellis is a Pennsylvania legal ethics attorney who is not, she's not currently practicing law. Instead, she helps law firms and other businesses maintain a competitive online presence. She also educates attorneys so they can make certain that their online conduct is ethically appropriate. Very important. Previously, Jennifer practiced law and managed the online presence of Lowenthal and Abrams, a medium-sized personal injury firm in Pennsylvania. And as a hobby, Jennifer enjoys educating the public on the law and she does this by answering questions on sites such as Quora and Avo. And Jennifer, maybe we'll have you back one day to talk a little bit about that because you do it so well. I, I, I see um, a lot of folks quoting you on Quora and Avo. And she also, I did not know that. Yes. And she also does it um, uh, on her website through her Ask Jennifer blog, which you can find at JLLS. That's J L E L L I S dot net. All right, Jennifer, that's it. I've introduced you. And you yeah. know what, before, before we continue, I must say that um, Jennifer, I've known Jennifer for a while now. Um, Jennifer started, as we mentioned earlier, at um, the PBA, which is the, what's that, the Pennsylvania the Bar Institute, Bar Institute. which is, is connected to the PBA, so I, you know, Got they're related that. to each other. Okay, and you know, I was in CLE at that time, and um, I think we got connected there. We um, we got certainly connected on Twitter. We started going back and forth, and we I enjoyed your writing, and we met up at conferences, and here we are on a podcast talking about legal marketing. <laughs> Pretty wild, huh? Pretty wild. We've both seen our careers develop, and both of us have had unusual. Indeed. In the legal profession. Yeah. Speaking of that, you have had an unusual career. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> I don't know, Tim. It, it just <laughs> sort of did. When I graduated law school, you know, it, the market wasn't great. I was looking for a job. I got a couple different offers and I didn't like them at, at all. You know, they just weren't in, in practice areas that I was interested in. And the PBI was looking for uh, someone and they don't normally hire people right out of law school. 
But when they met with me, they liked the fact that I had a technology background, so they brought me in. And being there for 12 and a half years allowed me to develop this really useful mix of skills as a businesswoman, a marketer, an educator, a lawyer. And it sort of formed the base of a career that has moved me into all sorts of different directions and enabled me to just um, have my hands all over the place in the legal profession. And it's really quite fascinating to have had that opportunity. I'm, I'm very honored to have been able to develop this kind of unique thing that has, has been my career since the, the late 90s now. So, you know, Jennifer, I hear a lot about, and certainly our blog readers and our podcast listeners, um, many of whom are lawyers who used to practice and sort of made the transition like you into marketing and into other, as a, there's a term out there now called alt legal careers. And um, so I definitely want to follow up with you a little bit towards the end of this podcast about maybe um, I get a lot of questions about how um, folks have made that transition. And maybe we could talk just very briefly about that to offer some value to them. But I do want to dig it right into WordPress. And maybe just to start off, we should, you and I certainly, we love WordPress and we use it. And um, there are a lot of folks um, who are marketers out there that know about WordPress. But maybe we should just give a little, if you could give a little um, overview of what WordPress is. So WordPress is a database-driven software, essentially that allows you to um, have a website. It's, uh, it's a program and it's free, which is a nice aspect of it. Uh, and there's a couple different ways to create a website with WordPress. Uh, the easiest way, although it's not the way I generally recommend for lawyers, is to use wordpress.com, which is a place where you can host a site um, for free or for a small fee. Or uh, you find a different host that is WordPress friendly and you pay a fee monthly and you put your website there. And most of the time you can install it with a click of a button. It's really very user friendly. So there are a lot of platforms out there um, in addition to WordPress, such as Joomla and Drupal or even hard coding a website. Why do you prefer websites um, or, or I should say WordPress for the websites that um, you create or that lawyers or uh, law firms should create for their practices? There's a couple reasons. One is I design a lot of websites for solos and smalls. And of course, they're very price sensitive in a lot of times. And if I can create something that they won't need to keep bringing in people to update. You see so many websites, Tim, with out-of-date information. And that's deadly. You need the website to stay up to date. And WordPress allows anybody to easily add pictures, add pages, remove pages, make minor edits. It's so easy to use for the end user that that's one of the reasons I really like to use it. The other reason is because I want to keep the cost low, it's important that I be able to design the website as quickly and simply as possible. Otherwise, I'd have to charge a lot more money, obviously. And I don't want to do that. And because it's easy to work with WordPress, uh, because there are all sorts of themes that you can use as a template out there and make minor adjustments to get things up and running, it lets me keep the cost low on that end too. 
and it's easy to use for the web designer. Um, I can teach somebody to create a website if they want to create their own. Yes, you say I wrote a book on it. And someone who's reasonably technical, technically savvy can create their own website. And I like that aspect of it. So I've heard a lot about, as you mentioned, um, you built WordPress websites for solos and smalls. And I, I think I read a statistic the other day about more than, what is it, more than a quarter of all sites on the internet are built on using WordPress. So is it just as good for building websites and microsites for large law firms? You know, there's, there's people dispute that. I think it is. Some people disagree with me. And a lot of the time is they don't realize that, first of all, you can do some coding with it if you know how. You can do coding on the back end. And second, as long as you keep it up to date, it works very effectively. One thing about WordPress is it's a lot like the Microsoft of the internet. And the reason I say that is, of course, Microsoft is something that hackers like to attack. And the reason they like to attack it is because they get a lot of bang for their buck. It's the fact that so many people are using it that if they find a hole, they can attack a lot of computers and other things. Well, the same is true with WordPress. Because so many people, businesses use WordPress, if you don't make sure to plug the holes, then you're vulnerable. But there's a lot of ways to plug those holes. You know, at my firm, uh, the one I'm just in the process of leaving, there's 15 lawyers. You know, in Pennsylvania, that's not a small firm. It's, it's a medium-sized firm. And we have a huge website, hundreds and hundreds of pages, hundreds and hundreds of blog posts. And there's no particular reason that we can't use WordPress. And I've not had any attacks or any problems because I keep it up to date. Sure, you can hard code, you can code your own website, you can use all the HTML, CSS you want. You can do all sorts of things if you want to, and that's fine. I'm not gonna say that's wrong. It's just that it's not bad to use WordPress for a large law firm. A large law firm is unlikely to have all that much more content than any personal injury firm in a major city that's trying to, to compete with all of the other personal injury firms in a major city. So I think people make assumptions that the large law firm is that much more complex than a small law firm website. I think that's more market-driven. What kind of law you're doing, what the competition is like, than it is anything else. So I think you can use it. I think you don't have to use it. Either way is fine, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, I actually think it's a little bit almost more important to use it when you have a big law firm because it's just easier to manage. There are so many other pages that and plugins, and we'll, we'll dive into plugins in a little bit, and, um, and, and blog posts and forms. And if, you, if each of those require that you have to hard code something or depend on a developer for something, it becomes such a burden just to change anything. So for me, I, I've, I've been at a firm where it was a pretty large firm. They used WordPress. They switched over to WordPress. And the marketers just loved it, right? So um, it made their job so much easier. 
um, anything that a partner wanted or that the firm or that the committee wanted, they were able to do so much more quickly. Right, because they don't have to hire somebody or get the coder. Most law firms, even large ones, are not going to have somebody who codes. And as a result, if you have marketers, marketers, some marketers code, some marketers don't. Most marketers don't code, at least not in any major way. And as a result, it may slow things down when on the web, it really is critical that you move quickly so everybody knows that you're on top of whatever issues it is you need to address. Or what if somebody leaves under bad circumstances and above the law is talking about it and you want them off your website you know, and you have to wait to get a coder in there to remove them? It's unnecessary when you can remove someone with the click of a button, use Yoast or something along those lines to do a really quick uh, redirect, and they're gone. And I see no reason to make things more complex for a law firm or any business. I just don't see the point. Uh, you're absolutely right. I, agree. I couldn't agree more. And you're also right that above the law would report if someone left under less than ideal circumstances. Of course they would, and that's their job. <laughs> that is their job, absolutely. So you talked about ease of use, and you know, as a frequent user over the years, I have, I've, I've loved the, the interface where you can build a blog post, write a blog post, build a web page. So could you talk just a little bit about the back end and how, how, how easy it is to use for a layperson who may not know any coding or CSS, um, HTML, and, and the like? For the most part, you can build a WordPress website without knowing much HTML and any CSS. You really can get around with almost no HTML. I mean, if you want to do certain things, sometimes you need to go into the text editor, and that might mean you need to get a little HTML. But by that, I mean going to w3.com, I think it's called, and figuring out how to embed a link or something along the line in, in, in HTML, as opposed to using the visual editor. And in a visual editor, it's sort of like using Word or something along those lines. Whereas in the text editor, you're seeing all the code in there. But unless, if you find a theme that you like, and the theme is what a web, WordPress website looks like, that's, that's what a theme is. If you find a theme that you like and you pretty much accept it as it is with minor changes, you don't really need to know any coding to make it look good. All you need to do is take it out of the box, change a few settings which do not require any coding, and go. That's how easy it can be to set up a WordPress website. Certainly, at my firm, you know, because we want things to look a very specific way. We go into the back end, we do coding to make things look certain ways. But it is not necessary. You can do it, you don't have to do it. And that's one of the reasons it's so easy to use. What about plugins? WordPress on its own is a powerful platform and has a lot of functionality, but it can that functionality can be extended using um, a bunch of add-ons, and I think the WordPress community calls it plugins. So what exactly are plugins, and could you share with us maybe a couple, two, three, four of your favorite plugins? I can. Uh, a plugin is essentially something that alters the back-end functionality of a website. The people who are using the website on the front end, those who are surfing the web and see it, 
are unlikely to have any sense that these things exist. But what they do is they expand the functionality. I mentioned something called Yoast, Y-O-A-S-T, earlier. Yoast is one of the most popular SEO, search engine optimization tools. And one thing I told you that you could do is if you delete a page, when you delete a page, you get an error unless you do something about it. And you'll also get that error in Google, and that's not good. What you can do is if you use the paid version, when you delete a page, it actually will ask you, do you want this link to go somewhere else? And you can just type in where you want it to go. If you use the free version, you don't get that. But if you use the paid version, version you do. So plugins add functionality to websites on the back end. Sometimes they have an impact on the front end too, um, in terms of how the website looks and certain things you can do. So Yoast is always a plugin I use. On every website I have been designing, and I've been designing websites for, I don't even know yeah, how long now, um, I have used Yoast for many, many years because its functionality is great. It does a lot of things that help you, and it, it's, they keep it up to date. They keep adjusting it, and, and they're very good at it. And it's even worth the money. I don't know how much it costs anymore. Uh, maybe a hundred bucks for one website, if that. Uh, you can also buy licenses for more. And I recommend it. Another one I use is called Akismet. I think that's how you say it. That helps deal with spam comments. When you have a WordPress website, people will want to post comments. And one of the reasons they want to do that is to communicate with you. If you look at my website, for example, certain of my posts, landlord-tenant posts, posts on um, when you can record people with whom you're having a communication, they get a lot of comments because people have questions and they want to ask me these questions, and I'd answer them as best as I can within the confines of the ethics rules, of course. So if you allow comments on your website, which you should, Acismet can help prevent a lot of the spam so you don't have to deal with it. So I recommend that to you. There's a number of plugins that will help you connect your WordPress website to your social media uh, presence. Some themes have that built in and you don't need to do that, but other themes don't. And so you can use a plugin to connect everything, to even automatically post on Twitter, Facebook, so on and so forth, and, and save yourself a lot of time. So there's a whole bunch of those. I don't have one in particular. There's there's even uh, plugins that help when you need to change uh, a word on your website everywhere. Let's say you've, uh, you've got an attorney who's left, and you want to find every instance of that person on the website so you can remove it. You can use a search and replace plugin to find the person and replace it with something else, someone else, just like you do on Word. So there's a whole bunch of these plugins out there that really make the functionality easy and they don't require you to code. The thing to remember though is just as when you install apps on your phone, you want to make sure you get those apps from a reputable source. What's well, critically important that you only get your plugins from reputable sources as well and that you keep them up to date. Because remember what I said, 
that people like to go after WordPress. That's one of its biggest negatives. You have to keep things up to date and you have to make sure that every place from which you get a plugin, if it's outside of the WordPress database itself, because you can use WordPress, they have a, a add new plugin and look within this massive selection of plugins it has. You can get them from there, but you can also buy them. Yoast, if I buy it, I have to download it from Yoast's website and install it. But that's okay because it's a reputable company and it's fine to use them. So those are the, some of the plugins I use, and that's why you use them, to add functionality. I couldn't agree with you more about Yoast. I, I mean, my only thing I would say about Yoast, and by the way, you know, in, in a nutshell for Yoast, you, it, it allows you when you create a page or you're writing up a blog post um, to make sure that you optimize the title, the meta description, the keyword, um, any content that you may be writing, it, 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 it rates you, it goes from red to green. But my thing is, it's nice to see that green. It means that it's optimized and you're using the keywords correctly and, and a lot of things like fall into place. So I, li I like the idea of, make, uh, of using Yoast as a guide, but not to be like so tightly governed by it. Do you think so? Yeah, you have to be careful. I mean, the one thing to remember is that SEO, search engine optimization, is very important. But you still have to write good content. And you can't allow any tool to convince you that your content has to fit in some sort of lockstep in order to be successful. You have to use some common sense and, and not be convinced that you have to fit within these lines to be successful with what you write on a website. So SEO Yoast is... Uh a plugin that extends the functionality of WordPress and its basic SEO. So um, my understanding, and I don't really dig too deep into all of the, um, the, the technical details of WordPress and, it, and the, uh, the PHP that they use and how they structure the platform so that it's, it almost comes optimized out of the box. Is that true? Yes and no. One of the things it's important to remember is that you do need a basic understanding of search engine optimization. And for that, I recommend a website called Moz, called Moz M-O-Z. They have a really nice introduction to search engine optimization, which at the very least will teach you some of the terms you need to know and some of the basic concepts. So it's hard for somebody who works in SEO and is trying to sell you their services to rip you off. The thing to remember is that WordPress does give you much of the functionality you need out of the box, but you still have to organize your website properly. You still have to make sure you design the website properly. You have to make sure the pages are organized properly because you want to make it easy for Google to crawl your website and index it so that it can you know, show it on search engine result pages. So you still need to understand some of the basics. But fundamentally, if you take a WordPress theme out of the box that is a good solid theme and you don't mess with it too much 
And on top of that, you make sure you put in a good structure of your pages. What I mean by that is you're going to have a home page, you're going to have an about page, you're going to have a practice areas page. Then under the practice areas page, let's say you're a family law attorney, and that's all you do. So under practice areas, you might have divorce, custody, um, child support, and then under each of, but you want to make sure that that goes under the parent page that is practice areas. So you're organizing this site in a way that makes logical sense so that Google can crawl through that site and provide, and it's essentially providing a map. And that map helps your search engine optimization and your search engine result pages where you rank. So it's important that you get a basic understanding of how to organize that website and the things to be looking out for. If you do that, you certainly are starting in a good place to further optimize your website. If you're finding yourself in a really competitive area with a lot of lawyers vying for the same eyes, it's gonna take a lot more effort to do search engine optimization than what WordPress gives you out of the box. If you're in a niche area where there's not a lot of competition, probably you won't have to do too much other than write well and give your clients what it is they're looking for. You're probably gonna have good results without having to hire somebody or even without trying that hard. Wow, that's a really good advice. One of the things that, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this podcast, is we get a lot of questions about, um, look, I hear a lot about WordPress, and could you just like clear up some of the some of the misconceptions or some of the things that I hear about so that I can go back to my team and let them know? So I think this will go a long way in helping that. Thanks, Jennifer. Yeah, sure, of course. My pleasure. Uh, but also, before we end, we talked about, in the beginning, about all legal careers, and I said I'd come back to that. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of our readers and a lot of our listeners are lawyers who transition into another career, a non-legal a non, um, services career. And more and more lawyers I hear from are wanting to do the same. So are there any tips, any thoughts about how they could go about doing that? It's funny. My career was actually set uh, back in college, unbeknownst to me. I was an English major, and I was working my way through a very expensive law, uh, college. And I was there on full scholarship, but I still had to buy my books and pay for things. And I was work-study. And I was started out in the dining room, which was disgusting, and I hated it. So I started looking for another position, and they were advertising for people in the microcomputer room. Now, I knew very little about computers back then. I had had one, but it was an Apple IIc, and computers were past that already at that point, although not much past it. But I went, and I interviewed for the position, and I said to them, I really don't know that much about computers. They said, it's okay to learn. And I did. And that requirement that I figure things out, turn around, and educate other people Help me figure out technology in a way that I don't know I ever would have understood it. And that basic understanding of technology and an interest in technology that I've always had led me to this place. Because first, PBI was interested in 
in my technology skills. Then, while I was at PBI, I developed skills in marketing because what is CLE if no one hears it? So that meant I had to learn to market to lawyers. I also had to develop business skills and speaking skills and, of course, yes, some amount of legal skills, although most of those came from pro bono work I, I did back then. So the marketing came from my first job where I had to learn how to market to other lawyers. So the first thing I, I can say, though, is, is, you know, social media was not a huge thing at first. And when I first really started to look at it, I did say to the then executive director, we really need to get to Facebook and these other things because it's where people are, especially younger people at that point. And so I watched the trends and I was able to convince my bosses that they should follow them. And I wasn't afraid to try and I wasn't afraid to experiment and I wasn't afraid to fail. I wasn't even afraid to look stupid because I knew I looked good in most other places. So the occasional failure or the occasional looking bad was not the end of the world. So there's a willingness to take risks. There's a willingness to step outside what you already know and what you're comfortable with to learn new things. And there's also a willingness to just shut up and listen and read what other people have to say and listen to what they have to say and just learn. In this field, you must study what other people are doing. Google's constantly changing and constantly messing with our websites. So we have to constantly change them. All of this stuff is constantly changing. So the first thing you have to do is educate yourself. That might mean you go to CLE uh, events on these issues or marketing events that have nothing to do with law. It might mean you find a mentor in the legal arena or not. You know, the law, the, the law is an odd animal when it comes to marketing uh, because I've heard that it takes 16 touches as opposed to seven to bring in a client, that's a lot. And it touches each time someone sees something about you. It's really hard to bring in a client. You also have to be willing to try and try and try and alter what you're trying if it doesn't work and study and test. It's a lot of brain work, but we're lawyers, so we're used to that, right? So you have to study, you have to learn, you have to get in there, and then you have to apply it to yourself. Can you get yourself on the front page of Google, assuming you don't have an easy name to get on the front page of Google? I assure you Jennifer Ellis was not easy. Can you implement these things that you're learning? Only once you've proved you're able to be successful for yourself or for something that you want to get on the front page of Google that you want to get people to know about, can you really then turn around and say with any authority that you know what you're doing? So that's how I approach it. I approach it by learning, not being afraid to fail, making suggestions to those for whom I work, working for people who supported me and were enthusiastic in allowing me to try, which I've been very fortunate in, trying, pushing, reading, going back, reading some more, trying some more. You have to just keep going in marketing. That's how you do it. 
That's a great way to end this podcast, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being with us. Before you go, if you liked this episode, please subscribe to our podcast. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And you'll find the show notes for this episode, along with all of the Legal Marketing 2.0 episodes, at goodtobesocial.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time.